So the reason that we do this, we know this, but when we come into a midweek, when you come into a meeting of the body, when you come into church, there should be this gratitude, this gratitude that just says, I am grateful. Thank you, God, that I got here. Thankful for this sister because, you know, we all can go around. That's not our midweek. We may do that another time. But we can all go around and name one person that has meant something to us. One person whose hug, whose talk, whose conversation, whose smile, whose scriptures, whose text has done something to save your soul. That is the beauty that God gives us in the church. And so it's always good to remind ourselves of that. And because, you know, at the end, we all run into our D groups and we do things. And, you know, if there's someone that God put on your heart tonight, don't leave without giving them a hug or a text or something, because that really is the way that we multiply God's spirit. And that's how God wants us to be. So tonight, I hopefully have some things that will help you. Um, You know, we pray and then we just see what God does, right? That's what you do. You pray, you work and see what God does. But, you know, last woman's midweek, we talked about Jesus's first miracle. Remember in in, uh, John chapter two, Jesus turning water water into wine. We talked about that, that Jesus is both big and small, the creator of everything that we can see, the creator of things that we don't see. Everything that we do and live and breathe is because Jesus has allowed us to do that. And when we forget that, then we kind of feel like, hey, I can make my own self-roll. I can do this. But we can't create breath. We can't sustain life. We can't do any of those things. And we know that Jesus is so big. It's, it's, it's the feeding of the 5,000, right? It's the parting of the Red Sea. It is raising Lazarus from the dead. It's all those things. And yet Jesus' very first miracle was what? Solving a catering problem. Remember that? Remember that? Solving a catering problem. He's big enough and small enough to come right into wherever your situation is. And Jesus came right into that situation. And because his mama asked, and you know, he didn't turn her down. Now he didn't, you know, he just was like, okay. But he recognized the need and there's things that he does only for you. And you always have the ingredients for a miracle that's right there. It was simply water and the obedience and the faith of the servants that did that. And even in doing that, and he used those ceremonial uh, water jugs that hold 30 gallons of, you know, uh, water, which is, you know, picture 30 gallons of milk, and there's six of them. Wasn't he supposed to use those jugs because those are ceremonial jugs. Even at the beginning, Jesus is like, I'm going to do this completely different. I'm going to do everything completely different. And, you know, on Sundays... Again, we've been talking about what? People when they, people just like us, people that when they met Jesus, Jesus did something to them. It's been Kelly, it's been Seth, it's been Lisa Agbalaya, and then on Sunday it was Paul. And hopefully, you know, this is our resurrection season. Every day should be a resurrection day. But in particular, this is our resurrection season. We are leading up to trying to help as many people have this encounter with Jesus. So on Sundays, that's what we're talking about, how Jesus met them and how they were resurrected. And tonight, I kind of want to continue that theme of looking at how our lives change as we continue to get closer to Jesus. Let's go over to Isaiah 61. This is actually one of my, become one of my new favorite passages. And uh, before, we're just, we're just going, oh, this would be helpful if I turn my Bible where I could read it. Hello. I can't really read upside down, but let's go with that. Um, but I, before we read that, this passage is so powerful, a side note, that Jesus used this passage in Luke 4, in verse 16 through 19, and he quoted part of Isaiah 61. And in doing that, the Bible just simply said, the way that he said it, who he was, the reading of the scripture, the Bible simply says, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So when we read this scripture in Isaiah 61, remember that Jesus said, 
today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I love this because it's just an incredibly beautiful chapter. I wish we had time to talk about the whole thing, but we can't. But let's go. We're going to be, we're just going to kind of read it in chunks here, but let's go to um, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is Jesus speaking. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and release, uh, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And, and release, this heart, my light, oh, pure. Release from darkness for the prisoners. I'm old. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to pro- provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And we'll stop right there. But listen to what Jesus says here. He was sent to do what? Good news. Bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom, release from darkness, to proclaim the year, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, and to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And now we're going to talk about ashes into beauty. But, you know, I love this because this is a forever promise. Because when you think about this, you think about where you were when you first met Jesus. What did he bind up? What did he free you from? What did he release you from? What did he help you with? What was the good news that he poured into your life? There was good news that he poured specifically into your heart and into your soul. And when I read this, I feel hope. It doesn't matter if you are 15 years old or Methuselah. This scripture still applies to you. Right? So I'm trying to be, you know, discreet for those of us that are older. I don't want to, I don't want to have a, okay, see, I don't want to have like a, a limit. So from teens, like, you know, whatever, 15 to Methuselah. But, you know, this gives us so much hope. And seriously, there are so many things that we can, we can talk about this, but uh, we, only, we only have a short amount of time. But when you remember, remember in this season, this resurrection season, life can get so busy. We can get so busy. Our kids, our jobs, our careers, our transitions that we forget that this is what Jesus has done. We forget what I was enslaved to. We forget the days that we don't have hope because we clean up so well. You know what I'm saying? Most of us took a shower before we came in today. We clean up really well. So this is what he freed us from. And when you are waking up every day to go, Jesus, thank you for freeing me. Thank you that you were good news to me. Thank you that I have hope. Thank you that I'm not in the darkness of X, Y, and Z anymore. You did that for me. That gives you hope. But this idea in verse, uh, in verse 3, it says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. So I want you to think about this picture of what ashes are. You know, when you build a fire, after a while, the ashes start to build up, right? And when the ashes build up, then you're not able to see the fire as much, right? You can kind of see the glow in it. You can, you can kind of see the glow, but it just starts to get this pile of ashes. And then what do you need to do when you stoke the fire? You got to what? Remove the ashes. And there's this long poker thing, and it comes in, and it pokes the fire, or you get the tongs, and you move the logs. But you've got to move all the ashes away so that it can burn, so that it can burn bright again, and then you got to add more logs. But in our lives, on a daily basis, we get this ash that kind of builds up, and so our flame doesn't burn as as bright as it used to. We were all covered in some kind of ash when we met Jesus. You think about the scriptures in Galatians 5. 
You think about 2 Timothy 3. We were all covered in some kind of ash. And in this, in this season, I, there's a song that I've been listening to called Resurrection. Um, and it says, uh, by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And when we think about the mercy song, it says we go from what? Death to life, from wrong to right. You're making what? All things beautiful. We go from death to life, from wrong to right. We're making all things beautiful. And this idea of ashes, sometimes when we think of ashes, we think, man, something got burnt to a crisp. I don't know if I want something. You don't want, you don't want anything that's burnt. You don't want, I don't want the stuff that's all left over and burnt to a crisp. I don't want the ashes. But what does God do with ashes? It says from dust to dust, right? What were we created from? Dust. God is, in the dust is where God starts the creation. You add a little bit of water to that, what do you get? You get clay. Who was the potter and who was the clay? God is the part, and we in the Christ. So when God starts using the dust in our lives, he starts that process of creation. You know, God is always waiting to turn our ashes into beauty. There is always a promise to be lived if we choose to follow it. No matter what season you're in, there is always a promise that can be fulfilled if we choose to follow. You know, I think about Eve and the ashes and how God turned her ashes into beauty. You know, a lot of times we think about Eve and we think about the fall because that's really how we're introduced to her, Adam's wife, and then the fall. And then we think about her family and we think about her sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel, and you go, this is a really hard life right here. But you know, God, even in the ashes of that, and Cain being the first prodigal, God still gave him protection. He put a mark of protection on him. And then the Bible simply says that Adam lived for 930 years, and he had many more sons and daughters. He lived for 930 years. He had many more sons and daughters. I'm thinking Eve was there. She was there for part of him. I don't know if she had all the sons and daughters, but she had more. And she had Seth. And it says from that time on, men began to call on the name of the Lord. How do you think Eve used her story? Now, this is conjecture. We don't know. But I like to think that Eve was there in part of this process of sons and daughters. How many times do you think she retold her story? What do you think are some of the ashes that she had to let God scoop off? The regret, the shame, the sense of failure, pretty big choices. But God gave her hope. If you're living for almost 900 years or almost 1,000 years, how many times do you think Eve or at least Adam, but we'll go with Eve since it's the gals here tonight. How many times do you think she retold the story of what it was like to walk in the garden and what her choice cost her and how she would never want to do that again? How many times do you think she's told that story? How many times did she put hope into these children? Wherever you are, God can turn the ashes into beauty. I think about Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, her greatest blessings at the latter part of her life. A grandmom. A grandmom. Okay, grandmamas are very special. Sometimes we don't realize that no matter, but grandmoms are very special. Because let's think about Naomi with Ruth and that little grandbaby. How many prayers did she pray over that son? How many times did she say, this is God's story? This is how he rescued us? This is how he saved us? You think of Timothy and his mom and grandmom? They gave him what? A legacy of faith. So for Naomi, those ashes turned into beauty. Um, She had the ashes of sorrow and of bitterness, of failure, fatigue, the voice of it's way too late. God's not going to listen to me. It's way too late. He's not even listening to me. Just call me Mara. Just call me bitter. Just call me bitter. That's what you're going to call me. God said, no, 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 that's not your name. 
That's not your name. Every person in the Bible, God has to de-ash, where he's got to scoop off this stuff so that the flame can burn brighter, with the exception who took everybody, you know, with the exception of Jesus. But I also love this passage in 1 Corinthians 6.11. It's in the NLT. It says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were once like that. You were once like that. We were once in the darkness. We were once bound up. We were once in despair. We were once having the morning. But then Jesus comes and does something different. So here's the question in all of that. Those are very big concepts. How personal is it for you tonight when you think about, God, what have you rescued me from? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to ask this question in a general sense, and I'm not asking for hands. Because I hate it when people ask questions, and they're like, so when's the last time that you did X, Y, and Z? I'm like, don't ask me about that today, because it wasn't a good day. But if you'd asked me yesterday, it would have been great, because I was doing well yesterday. Don't ask me about that. So I'm going to say this very generally. Let's just go in the last week or so, and the last couple of weeks. How many times are you thanking God for the personal miracle of God? Thank you for rescuing me for giving me a crown of beauty instead of the ashes, whatever the terminology is. Of course, we're in Isaiah 61, but you know what I mean. How many times has that been your heart? Not walking by really fast, not just checking in your quiet time, not just saying it because you need to say it, but where it moves you. You know, many of us come to hear the worship because what it moves us, the music moves us. The Bible should move you. And there's different kind of ashes. Are there ashes in your life right now that God is trying to scoop off? You know, every day we've got to kind of scoop off the daily ash because you got to scoop off all the stuff that happened yesterday, right? Every day, new mercies, renewing our souls every day. There's the, there's the sin ash because there's choices that we just make that's against God that's just going to build up things that are not a part of him. And we have to, and you know what that is, whatever that is in your core. It's, it's how you live in your home. It's how you live in your job. It's how you live with your roommates. It's how you live with your children. It's all those things that are not of God. And you know whatever those things are because we always have those core. There's the life events where the ash just builds up because it's just a hard season. But again, that passage talks about that God provides comfort for those that are mourning. And I know that there, there, there are those of us that are sad because very hard and sad things have happened or are happening, and God provides that comfort. You know, when you are looking to provide comfort for those people, you don't know. you looking for those opportunities. How can I connect? I, I was coming to church on Sunday, and a, and a husband saw me, and uh, he just happened to see me. And so he comes up, and he starts talking, and his wife was actually going through a, a, a rather uh, really hard morning. And I'm like, I'll text her. I'll text her. So I texted her a few things, and, you know, we texted back and forth, and I saw her later, and I gave her a hug. In that moment, there are moments that every day that people can provide some kind of comfort. That's what you do. And I know you know this. I know you know this. I'm not saying anything that we don't know. But sometimes we need the nudge to remember to do it. We need the nudge to remember to do the good and the right that we know what, that we need to do. You know, a friend of mine is going through a very difficult time. There's been a loss, you know, for her that's very close to her. You know, there's sometimes no words that you can do or say other than give prayers and text and love and send some food and send thoughts. I mean, because the mourning process takes a long time. There's no way that you can just magically fix it. 
but your presence, because you are of God, provides a comfort. Any time that a person is of God, they are in a situation, they provide something if they are tuned into God. Does that make sense? You know, there's, there's the ash of just spiritual adulting. Do you know how hard it is just to spiritually adult? I mean, I've been doing this for 30-some-odd years, and I still feel like we're, I'm still not an adult. This is really hard. <laughs> This is hard to have my self-discipline every day. This is hard not to say the words. This is hard not to want to be selfish. This is hard just to want to be mean. This is hard not to want to just eat or something. It's just hard. And I'm like, when am I ever going to get over this? Oh, I don't know. Because the spiritual adulting is every day because every day you have to choose to refollow God. The ash of perseverance that sometimes you just got to do the work to just keep going. Um, you know, the seasonal things, because sometimes you have seasonal. I think about my teacher friends right now because it's getting into the crazy time of the year for the, you know, back to school night and all the other things that people do. I, my kids are out of school now. So graduation for us. We're coming into graduation season. So all the things that go along with that. You, whatever it is, you have these seasons and cycles in your life where that ash of disconnection can kind of build up. And you're like, where am I? That you're so busy in your life. Like, when was the last time that I had a really great time with God? You know, I was talking to her with a sister a couple of months ago, well, about a month or so ago, and she was, you know, having a harder time. And we kept talking, and we kept talking, and I kept asking her, I'm like, so when was the last time that you were really connected with God? Now, I mean, and what I mean by really connected is like your heart's connected, there's conversation, you hear, you listen, you are quiet. You know, sometimes we can have these times with God, and it feels like we're in a house, and you're just, like, you're in the living room, and you're, you're yelling at someone in the bedroom, like, hey! Yeah, I, I had a quiet time with God. Well, no, not really. You, you weren't sitting down with him. You were kind of yelling at him while you were in the living room and he was upstairs in the bedroom. You know what I'm saying? Having that time where it's connected with God. And we also have all the things of discouragement and defeat. Any time that we have these times, we are always one choice away from being a little bit closer to God. And you can fill in the blank. I mean, the list can go on and on of the things that kind of build up every day in my life that makes me disconnect from God. I can have a hard day at work. I'm mad. It's traffic. It's the rain. It's leaky roofs. It's discouragement. It's finances. It's children. It's, you know, my poor son threw up at church. <laughs> you know, all those things. That's really not. I'm sure Jure did not wake up Sunday morning and go, wow, we're all going to go to church. And wow, my, I'm sure that's not what she planned. I'm sure that's not what she planned. But in those moments, you have to go, God, how am I going to get through this and get closer to you? You know, um, let's go on and read Isaiah 61, verses uh, 4 through 9. So, it, you know, he talks about this, this oaks of righteousness in verse 3. The oaks of right. You know, an oak tree can live up to 150 years is kind of the average. And the longest one, I think, is the oldest one is probably like 1,500 years. Right? So when we think about bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations, aliens yeah, aliens will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priest of the Lord. You will be called, you will be named ministers of God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and the riches they will boast. Instead of their shame, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of grace, and, and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance, so they will receive a double portion of their land. 
and everlasting joy will be will be theirs. Sorry, that lights. I'm old, and the lights a little weird, so it's like. Ugh. Um, so when we think about this part about we shift into the to the crown of beauty, the, I had this memory of when my my uh, Tori and Kennedy were very young, and they were going to the father daughter dance, and they'd always come home with these crowns. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like a little girl with a crown on. I don't, you know, they just dip from two to like even, you know, twenty. You you put the crown on, and you're like, hey. You just kind of morph into the Disney princess, right? You just kind of, because there's something very special about that. Because it means that you, that someone thinks you're special and you're kind of anointed in, in, a, in a special way. And, you know, when you think about a crown of beauty, we're talking about a crown of beauty here. What would your crown look like? Would it be, su- I love bling. Would it be super blingy? Or would it be simple and ornate? It doesn't matter, but God says, I have a crown of beauty just for you. Just for you. And when you think about, God says, I want this to be my display. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a plant in the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know, I, I want to, when you think about the display, all right, so this concept of ever-increasing glory. Let me ask this question right here. So how many of you have been Christians for 20 years or more? All right, stand on up. 20 years or more. Ah, uh, no, I'm not going to make you speak. All right, 20 years. So here's the thing. Most of you, I'm looking around the move, a big chunk of you I can remember when you were very young Christians. And I can go around the room for every one of you and go, I can see how God has displayed his splendor in your life. The oaks of righteousness. The oaks of righteousness. We forget that sometimes when we're just kind of daily battling and out not to lose our temper and scream at people and eat 15 cakes and, you know, hurt people and, oh, did that slip out, the 15 cakes? So sorry. Um, but, you know, you, you remember that. And you look around this room. Most of us have been in this room together for a very long time. 20 years or more, oaks of righteousness. Go ahead and have a seat. So when you think about that, I could go and ask every sister, tell me a miracle that God has done for you. More importantly, I could ask you guys, tell me a miracle that that sister has done in your life. Tell me a miracle that Tracy has done in your life, or Michelle has done in your life, or Sharon has done in your life, or Charmaine has done in your life. Tell me a miracle, because that is God displaying his wonder in us. And it talks about, and it goes on, and it it talks about in verse 6, I love this part too, we're going to come back, but it says, you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of God. So here's the thing that I love that, you know, in the Old Testament, God is always changing people's names, right? Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Sarah to Sarai, Sarai to Sarah, because when he changes, it means that I've got a different purpose for you. And so when God's going through this whole process, and Jesus is going through this whole process of freeing us, and then once you, are, once you have this crown of beauty, what are you supposed to do? You are called an oak of righteousness for the display of his splendor. You are rebuild. You will restore. You will renew. You will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. Does that not sound like the church? That we go and we find people to help rebuild the ruins of their lives, to restore their hope, to renew their faith? And God gives us a name. You know, I was, I was thinking about this. Um, okay, so, Chin, I'm going to put Chin on the spot. So, Chin, what was your birth name? And what did, I know we know your name is Chin. I know, right? I had to. I'm sorry. I thought about this. I'm so sorry. Okay, so here's the thing. So the thing is, when God changes our names, right? God changes our names. 
we don't really live in times like that where we become Christians and then God gives us a new name and we go through some spiritual event and God gives us a, a new name. But I did think about this with Chingwei because her birth name that her mom gave her is very different than what she has right now. But when you listen to it, see if you don't think that God had some um, thing to do with changing her name. Okay, so Ching, what was your birth name? Her, her birth name was Kimberly Joy. All right, so what is your name right now, obviously? I want, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I want the whole. And what does it mean? Oh, good, Greg. Okay, so does that not sound like Chin? All of those names. So when I think about that we would be called priests of the Lord and you would be named ministers of God, God says, I have a name for you because there's something very specific that I want you to do, and you need to resemble this name that I'm giving you. That's what the church is. The name that, her, that uh, Chin's parents gave her, it so resembles who she is, but ours is so much bigger than that. You know, in Ephesians 1 verse 6 says it this way. He says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So what is a church made of? It's made up of people of you just like you and me. We know this. You know, the world's talking a lot right now about diversity. Rightly so. That's not my point. The point is the world's talking a lot about diversity. But who is the author of diversity? God is the author of diversity. Everything that you see in creation is what? Diverse. Every plant, every creature, the color of the sand, the color of the water, the color of the skin that God slipped our souls in. He loves diversity. And when you walk into our church and you see people of all races and all cultures and all backgrounds, and it's certainly very messy, Grace, because we've been here a long time. It's very messy grace, but it is still grace. And when I think about this passage, they rebuild, they restore, they renew. That is God's um, purpose for the church. And, you know, in this resurrection season, you know, that's what we're called to be reminded of. Is God, how did you restore me? How did you change me? It's for us. And when you see the transformation of people, whether it's people who are studying the Bible, I love this. Um, is, is Mia here? Is Mia here tonight? Did I see her yet? Okay. Mia's mom. N- no? At PU. Okay. Mia's mom, Natty. Did I say that right? I think I said that right. So her mom, Natty, came to the mom's uh, mothers and ministry conference and they've been to church I think a couple of times but she came to the mothers and ministry conference and um you know she that first night you know she walked and she's she doesn't know a soul like her daughter's dropping her off and I'm like I'm sure her daughter's kind of scared just dropping her mama off with people she doesn't know you know what I mean it's like drop, dropping off your key I'm like we're gonna it's gonna be good we're, we're gonna take care of her so uh, you know she's rooming with Kim Upton of all people Kim Upton yeah so great. So you see her like Friday night. And then Saturday, she, she started making friends. Vanessa, uh, Patillo, and then Sharetta. And then I saw her, kept seeing her through the conference. And Tracy talked to her, and I talked with her. Everybody's talking with her. And then, you know, about somewhere around Saturday afternoon, you'd see her, and she's like, hey, 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 hey. I saw her at church on Sunday, and I was like, hey. And she goes, hey. I'm like, hey. And 
then I saw I met her husband, and, and uh, we started talking about the conference. He goes, oh, the conference again. <laughs> so we had a great time. He goes, I know. Had a great time. So they're studying the Bible now, which is really amazing. But the thing that I love about that is that the, the mystery that she encountered was the mystery of the church. All kinds of people loving God, being a light, being kind. You, we, we forget and underestimate what our presence is as a light. We forget that sometimes. You know, I think about Marie and Kalani and Alana and Shauna and all the people. Those are the, the sisters that have become Christians this year. And then I look at the women that I said before that have been Christians for 20 years or longer, or five years or 10 years or 30 years. It goes on and on. But this ever-increasing glory. And when we think about the resurrection and we think about how God has changed us, where would I be if that person hadn't reached out and talked to me? Where would I be if someone hadn't sat down and heard all my junk? Where would I be if someone didn't save me a seat on a Sunday and go, come on in. There's room. Come on in. We got a place for you. We'll give you a ride. We'll explain that to you. You remember when people did that for you? That's what we're looking to do in this time. And I know sometimes that, you know, it's a question that I have for you. Do you have room to do this? Do you have room in your life and in your heart to do this? Now, I know the automatic answer is, yes, of course I do. Of course, of course I do. I'm a Christian. Of course I have room to do this. Really? So on a Sunday, on a Sunday, there are times that I am walking past that, I, that, I, that I'm, I see disciples, and I'm talking to disciples, but I'm trying to get out of the conversation because all the way over there in the corner, I see someone that I know is not from our church. And there's like 10, 15 disciples around them. Do you have room to say hello? Do you have room to meet someone new? Do you have room in your group? Do you have room in your group? You know, from time to time, I will talk to small group leaders. I'm like, hey, can this person, you know, we have a person who wants to study. Can they, can they be in your group? No. I'm sorry. It's just really kind of busy right now. Oh, okay. Uh, we have a person transferring. Can I, would they, would they be, could they possibly be part of your group? No. It's, no. It's, it's really too much for our group right now. I'm like, okay. Okay. And it, does God always work it out? Yes. Does God always work out the people that meet people at church? Yes. Does God always work out the group situations? Yes. But my question is, do you have room? Do you have room? And I'm asking that because I've asked a lot of people, and sometimes there is not room. And I'm telling you, that tweaks me just a wee bit, that there is not room. You don't have room to say hi. You don't have room to make room for people. to Hey, can I, can I get to know you? And I'm like, wow, is that not is that Jesus? I'm wondering, is that Jesus or not? If we are so in love and delighted with this beautiful fellowship that we have, but there is no room, I think that's a problem. I don't think it's indicative of who we want to be or who we are. I'm just saying it's come across my world more than once, more than twice, more than three times, more than four times. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to say something about this. I'm going to say something about this, particularly like on an Easter. And it's one service. You know, we have all this stuff. It's just one service. But the reason it's one service is because it's the time of the year that people are actually maybe possibly going to think about coming to church. Maybe possibly. And the other time will be, I don't know, maybe Christmas. So if they're maybe possibly thinking about possibly coming to church, could we maybe possibly think about saying hello? It's okay. You can sit in the seat that I always sit in. It's fine. 
I have to tell you, so a couple of weeks ago, so Kevin was like, because there's a spot that we sit in. And, and yeah, and so he said, hey, let's sit on the other side. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, sure. I was like, I'm just curious as to why you would like to sit on the other side. He's like, I just thought we would sit over there and see what it looks like. I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like four years old. I don't want to sit there. And it was lovely. I had a lovely time sitting next to Rosemary. It was awesome. Um, but, but just getting out of our comfort zone was a big deal for me. It was a big deal. And I'm like, really, I'm going to have to pray this through just right now about where I'm going to sit at church. <laughs> I've been a Christian 30 some odd years. But you know, you know how that goes. And God will just ask you to do something small. And you're like, what? I'm going par- to have to park where? What? Our group is going to meet when? I don't even know. You know, I'm just saying that God's going to give us opportunities to um, stretch and make room. So I'm just asking you, do you have room? And sometimes when there's so much stuff stirling around in our souls, and I know that sometimes we're, we're having very difficult situations in our lives where literally you're getting up every day and you're like, okay, God, all right, I'm going to try one more day. I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm going to try one more day. I know that. I know that. And really, maybe the only room that you have in your life is like, I can pray for people. I can pray because that's going to get my heart into a different place than where it is right now. You know, the the final thoughts that I want to think about is in um, Isaiah 61, um, still there, in the last part. You know, this this thing about the ash, when I think about ash for me personally, is the ash of weariness. And having been with God and walking with God since I was in my early 20s, 30 some odd years, and I, you know, shared last week that, I thought two couple of weeks ago that uh, 36 years ago that was Kevin and I started dating, we're coming up on 35 years of marriage, I've been in ministry 30 some odd years, Kevin's been a Christian 39 years as of yesterday, wow. We've been in LA 25 years. So there's all these amazing milestones, and I have nothing but gratitude for the amazing life that God has given me. There's no way that I could give thanks for all the things that God has done for my life, for the people, for the churches, for the opportunities, for the conversations, for the people that I've studied the Bible with, for my family, for my daughters, for all of you, for my friends. You know, I grew up, and I didn't have a lot of friends. I'm always still amazed that I have friends. I was very much an introvert. I very much, my home life was complicated, so I didn't really have time for friends. I was very much protective in a protected mode. So the idea of becoming a Christian and having friends was kind of a big deal for me. And meeting people was kind of a big deal. So I have nothing but amazement and gratitude for the life that I had, that I have. That notwithstanding, in this season of my life, I do feel that ash of weariness. Because as I'm trying to personally grow and personally navigate the church, and personally navigate all the very complex and layered conversations within the church, and personally, you know, navigate stuff and stuff and stuff. I just feel a little like, whoa, I think I'm a little tired. And I, it's not like I'm not praying. It's not like I'm not reading. It's not like I'm not asking. It's not like, but I feel like, wow, I think I'm a little overwhelmed. And it really takes a lot for me to be overwhelmed, actually, because I kind of tend to go. But I'm like, uh, and, and you know, you know that you feel off and you know that you're trying to change it and you know that you're trying to engage and you know, you know this thing. So I'm saying that. So I went to this uh, conference this last week 
which is always a lovely thing to be able, a gift to be able to go. But there was a woman there. Her name was Jerry Lang, and Jerry Lang, uh, she and her husband, mm, must be almost thirty-six years ago, um, thirty-five years ago. I know I'm old, right? Uh, so Sam Lang and Sam Powell were the ones that married Kevin and I, but her husband Sam uh, Sam Lang was the one that put Kevin in the ministry. So we were with them for a bit in Atlanta. And I'm watching Jerry at the conference, and all of a sudden, and the, the stuff that she shared was amazing. It was lovely. It was great. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. I wrote it all down. It's what, yeah, it's great. But the thing that I was sitting there, and God was like, this is why I want you here, because it took me back all the way to when I was in my 20s in her house, just learning and trying to figure out, well, how am I going to stay a Christian? How am I going to stay married? How, just learning all these things. And it was in her kitchen that I had first kind of had the dream of, hey, I think I want to do something different with my life. And I watched Jerry, who was baptized, okay, you want a number, 1969. 1969. 1969 people. I was like, wow. Four children, all disciples, all married, three in the ministry. One is a writer of spiritual books. They've been in, I counted, like seven churches, serving in all these different things. But the thing that I, that I was reminded of Jerry's spirit was just that she just loved God and loved people. And sometimes in the weariness, you forget why you do what you do. And in that moment, God was like, this is why you do what you do. This is the life that I've asked you to do. This is the life that I want you to lead. This is who you are. This is why you're here. And let's just get her done. So this concept, sometimes of the weariness that you, you just get tired of just doing those things. I get tired of trying to change. I get tired of trying to have a conversation. I get, try, I get tired of trying to push through an awkward thing on a Sunday. You just get tired of things. But when God says to remember who you are and whose you are, that's what helped me. And I'm like, I had forgotten some of that in some ways. And then as I'm thinking back to when I knew Jerry to when I know her now, and she was like, oh, it's so, how are you guys? How are you and Kevin? Da-da-da, I'm so proud of you guys. Da-da-da. I was like, wow. Because I, I can see all the ways that God has helped me through 30-some-odd years. And sometimes when you're right in the dailiness of it, you can't see where God has brought you. Isaiah 61 and verse 10, it says, so this is what I want you to remember. Um, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So this is how God feels about you. He has clothed you with garments of salvation. He has arrayed you in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He's making the soil sprout up around you and a garden is growing. The seeds are growing around you. You need to delight greatly. Your soul needs to rejoice greatly. It's really hard sometimes because, again, the dailiness of life just kind of wears you down. And then you're living with yourself. <laughs> living with yourself? 
you can really not rejoice greatly. But this is what God calls us to be, is to rejoice greatly in who we are. So, you know, a couple of, a couple of things that I have. So as you be, before you get ready to go to your group, so these are the questions that I want you to think about. What ash are you buried under, and what has, what has God been doing to try to scoop it out? Do you have room in your life for whatever God wants you to do? And, you know, again, it's not all the big stuff. We think, I want to go save the world. And I, I can't talk to someone at, at Target, you know what I mean? So we got to get perspective on that sometimes. You know, <laughs> the, last thing, the last thing is a couple of things. It says, remember, I think a couple of weeks ago I, I encouraged you guys to kind of think about before you leave your house, get on your knees and pray. And pray through whatever scripture, Matthew 28, Colossians 4, Philippians 2, be a light. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. You know, it's been really helpful for me to get on my knees and pray, God, how can I partner with you today when I leave my house? Very easy to partner with God in my house sometimes when it's just me all by myself in my house. Um, But as I'm going out, because Jesus was very intentional. We talk about this, like I need to share my faith. Well, of course Jesus did, but he was still very intentional. He got up early, and then when he got around people, he started talking. Even when he was really tired, John 4, as tired as he was by the well, as tired as he was, he opened his mouth. And I'm like, God, how, who do you want me to talk to, and how can I be a light? And does that mean I've invited more people? It really has. But honestly, it's because I'm seeing more people. And I'm trying to be a light, and I'm trying to open my mouth, and I'm trying to say, hello, how are you today? Do you know how many times when you're talking to people that they're just all in the zone, that when you say, hi, how are you, they're like, huh? oh, wow, thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. How are you today? Oh, well, what? Wow, thanks for asking. It's an open door. So if I'm looking for the people, if I'm looking, can I see you how God sees you? Whatever that is for you. But honestly, for me, it's just been helpful to go, God, as I leave my house, who is it that you want me to see and who, how can I part you with? And then if you have time and if soul moves you, then meditate through Isaiah 61 to see and to remember how God has changed you and called you out of the darkness and freed you and to call you to give hope and renewing and rebuilding other people's lives. Go through it and rewrite it for yourself and see what that looks like and what that feels like if you can rewrite it for yourself. This last little fun bit, um, two weeks ago, uh, we were talking about uh, how Liam, uh, Kangas, little Liam, who's four, um, went up and shared his faith and gave someone this big card, gave, gave him a card to come to church, and this big, huge dude was like, oh, thank you so much. So here's our fun little fact today. I was on Facebook on Sharing Point, and uh, Andrea Mascarini posted this about her daughter, Emma, who's in kindergarten. She goes, my kindergartner invited her friend from school to Easter with the Road to Rexon postcard. She promised Jesus would be there. They are so, they are so excited to meet him in person. <laughs> And, of course, it's, it's the emoji with the eyes. You're like. But I love this. I love this. Little Emma in kindergarten is fired up. And her, her friends are like, is Jesus going to be there? I'm coming. So Jesus is already here, people. Jesus is here in who we are. So please have a great night. Go to your groups. Thanks for listening. <laughs>